Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we're going to be uh, continuing our series this morning on the parables of Jesus. And uh, this is kind of your typical parable. You know, I was thinking about uh, something I read from Terry Pluto right after the Indians changed their name to the Guardians. And he goes, he says, you know, this, is a, this name is boring and safe, and that's why they picked it, right? Boring and safe. Well, I'm hoping that um, this parable to you is not boring this morning, but it's definitely not safe. You know, I don't think any of the things that Jesus talked about were safe. You know, they're things that are just kind of upsetting in our lives and, and life-changing if we let them be. Um, and I wanted to start off uh, with this. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but back in the 60s when the Super Bowl was just starting, I don't know if you were aware, but they actually had a third-place bowl alongside that. It was called the Burt Bell Benefit Bowl, and they would take the runner-ups in each division and they would play for third place. I think it was a kind of a uh, throwback to the NCAA, you know, March Madness. They used to have a third-place game that was played right before the championship game that nobody wanted to really play in. And I remember Vince Lombardi, who was, always, you know, who was coaching in actual Super Bowls where the championship game was, he called this third-place bowl the, a loser's bowl for losers. And the parable this morning is about a guy who I think thought he was a winner. He got his third-place trophy, but he was, he was a loser. And the, the parable is the rich man and Lazarus. I know that many of you are familiar with this from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, to you this uh, parable uh, through, and then I'm going to make a few comments on it, okay? So it starts out here in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich, then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, <clears throat> Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, the obvious question, I think, that everybody who's like paying attention to this story as Jesus is telling it, 
the obvious question that they'd ask was, what, what was the rich man's problem? I mean, don't you want to just grab this guy by the lapels and go, buddy, what is your problem? You've got a man here who is like, the guy is in terrible condition. He's sick. He's hurting. He's dying. He's, he's like, he needs so much help. And you just sit there and you're feasting. And then you throw this, like the scraps of your table uh, to this guy. And I'll tell you what I read about these scraps was that back in Jesus' day, they didn't have like eating utensils, you know, forks and, and knives and, and spoons. And they didn't have napkins either. So what they would just, they would eat with their hands, right? Dip stuff in sauce, their hands would get kind of messy. And then they would usually provide loaves of bread. You could tear a piece of bread off, kind of wipe your hands on the bread and then just toss the bread. That's what Lazarus is trying to like scavenge so he can try to keep body and soul together. I mean, this is such a ridiculous thing. What's the problem with the rich man here? I mean, he's, eternal, you know, he's a winner at this particular time, at least in his own mind. But what's he thinking? And I thought, <clears throat> I think I get an idea. I can understand it because I feel like in this parable, I feel like a lot of like understanding of this guy. I feel there's a lot of rich man in me here. And one of the things is the guy's probably thinking, I've been blessed. I've worked for this. You know, he's got this kind of karma attitude, this karmic attitude here. You know, karma means you're the maker of your life. And so if you're doing well, it just shows that you've been blessed. A good guy, you know, and he's going like, you know, this, this Lazarus guy here, you know, he's probably thinking of some deficiencies that have led him to this point where his life is so low. So he's kind of feeling like, yeah, I, I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I've worked for it. This guy probably hasn't. And then I think he's also thinking this. He's going, you know what? I, I can't risk being taken advantage of. This is a picture here of the current situation at Venice Beach in L.A. My daughter, Sarah, was for a while uh, the editor of the Alt Weekly in L.A., and she lived in a, a place there right near Venice Beach, big tourist area at the time. Uh, it was like a 500-square-foot place that she rented for about 4000 a month. I mean, real prime stuff, pricey, right? But she could, you know, just a block or two away, she could go running on the beach, and she said it was just like a... It was just great living there. But then uh, L.A. started, like, loosening up, you know, their parking rules and everything, and pretty soon all the streets in the Venice area were, like, wall-to-wall... Cars, campers, pickup trucks parked all, you know, 24 hours a day. People living there in their vehicles and stuff. And then uh, they started going, well, we're going to allow uh, tents on a beach. And so you end up with like 200 tents of homeless people there on a the beach. That's what it looks like. And it's like, I think the rich man is thinking at this point, he goes, if I take Lazarus in, Every beggar and panhandler in town is going to show up at my door and take advantage of me too, and I'm going to be uh, left with nothing. I don't want to put myself in that vulnerable position. I can understand that, how he's feeling in that, uh, about that. And then I think he's got that nagging sense that I think you and I always seem to have. It comes back to us. There might not be enough. This uh, picture that I've got up on the, on the screen right here 
is from uh, a couple weeks ago when we were up in northern Wisconsin, up in Eagle River, and on vacation for a week, and a family got together. We do this every year up there, rent a place. And uh, the little girl you see there who's in the white nighty who's standing there, uh, that's my granddaughter Cecilia, and she had turned six years old on Wednesday of the week we were up there. And so her parents, uh, Sarah and her husband John, they, they uh, brought her presents up there from them, and she opened them in the morning, you know, good stuff. And then uh, that evening, we had her favorite meal, which is cheeseburgers, you know, good kid, you know. And um, then we, she opened the presents from uh, the grandparents and, you know, and the, uh, the aunts and uncles, right? And uh, when she was done opening the last present, she had this sad look on her face. Oh, what's, what's wrong, Cecilia? She goes, I want one more, you know? And I think, isn't that an attitude that all of us kind of have at times where we go like, yeah, I got this, but I, I could use a little more. I, I got to make, you know, we have this attitude that it's going to run out, right? We can always use that extra buffer. And you get this way, I think, more as you get old, because you go like, yeah, I, I know God could take care of me in my working years and all this stuff, but now that I'm old, I don't know if God can handle it anymore. And so you start, you know, holding on to it real tight and hoping it'll last until you drop dead. And, and it's going like, he's got this attitude like there, there might not be enough, you know, and I can't afford to give anything up. I kind of get that. Now, here's the deal with the story is that he ends up the loser. And Lazarus, this guy who's like in this wretched condition, he ends up the winner. And, it, you know, it talks here about the poor man dies, and he doesn't even talk about him even being buried. It's like the angels take him to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet, and then the rich man dies. He gets buried, but then he goes to the place of the dead, and he's in torment. He's just like, he's just like suffering. He's in terrible shape right here. And I go like, okay, I... Why? How did he get this advantage? How did he win? You know? And I think the best way I can explain this is to take you back to about 2,000 years before Jesus told the story. And I want you to, um, and to answer this question, what was the secret of Lazarus's ultimate success? Because that's got to be the main point of the story. What did Lazarus have that the rich guy didn't? And I want to uh, just take you to this picture. Now, this is a picture of the uh, Sinai Desert. Uh, and it's just a barren place. And if you look at that desert, that's a, you don't see a grocery store in sight, do you? And you don't see any farmer's fields or any crops growing. It's like dead. And this is a place that the Israelites came to when they were freed from Egypt and Moses led them out, and then they were taken into this, this desert. And by this time, their stash of food that they had hauled with them from Egypt was all gone. And you got two million people and no prospect of food in sight. It was a terrible, scary, terrifying kind of situation. And about 40 years after this first happened, Moses is reminiscing in the book of Deuteronomy about this, and he goes back to that time. And I want to show you what he said. Two verses out of Deuteronomy 8. Moses said this to the people. He goes, God put you through hard times. He made you go hungry. 
The guy who led them into this desert was actually God. It wasn't that they just blundered in there, but they were literally led there by the Lord. Then he fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about, so you would learn that men and women don't live by bread only. We live by every word that comes from God's mouth. And so he brought them there, and then he said, okay, what are you going to do? How are we going to handle this? He says, I'm going to give you supernatural bread. It's going to appear every morning, and it'll be enough to meet your needs. But if you try to keep it till the next day, it's going to rot. So you're going to have to get up the next day and trust. I'm giving you a promise. It's going to be there the next day, and the next, and the next. And then he even told them, he said, he said, on the sixth day, I want you to gather even more because on the Sabbath day, there won't be any. Trust me on this. And through this process, they learned to put their trust in the Lord because they were unable to get the job done themselves. They were, kind of, they were in a helpless situation. And I began to realize as I thought about this, I thought, that's the story of the whole Bible. That's the story of all the people in the Bible that it talks about following the Lord. I mean, you can, even, you can start with a guy like Abraham. The guy was immensely wealthy, but what he really, really needed and wanted was a son. He wanted a descendant. And the only way he's going to, he's a guy who's like 99 years old and he doesn't have any, there's no fertility left in his family. He's got to rely on God's promises. God says, trust me, I'm going to show you, we're going to do miracles right here. You think of like Jacob, his grandson, who had tons of uh, wealth, but his brother is trying to kill him. And his brother's got more armaments, let's say, than Jacob's got. And he's got to actually literally wrestle with the Lord one night to try to get a promise out of, out of God. You think of David, he gets anointed as king by the Lord, but then he's got like his, his strong enemies with a contract on his life, and he's got to trust the Lord step by step as he goes along, the, the word of the Lord. You got a guy like Daniel, he's the third most powerful guy in the Persian Empire, and Daniel ends up in a lion's den. And he's got these hungry lions, and he's totally helpless, and he's got to rely on the promises of God and trust God's direction. Uh, I think of like New Testament people, like Mary Magdalene, who is like demonized. You know, she's got serious mental illness problems, and the only hope is Jesus there. You got Peter, whose fishing business has gone down the toilet, and he's got to figure out some way to make ends meet, and he's got to trust Jesus and his directions. And you got a guy like Paul, who's He's got his moral life together pretty much, but he's still an empty guy and he goes blind and now he's going to have to like let the Lord lead him by the hand. And how about you and me? You know, hasn't that been the story of, of so many of our lives where the Lord has brought us to a point where like it says, hard times or going hungry or like a time of a loved one dying or a relationship that was, you were, we were banking on blowing up. And, and now what are we going to do? And we learn we've got to trust the Lord. You know, I think about myself, taught 10 years and I'm kind of on the treadmill and going nowhere and I'm loaded down with like a sense of sin and guilt. What am I going to do? And you learn to cry out for the Lord because you can't make it happen with your own strength. And that's the position that Lazarus found himself in. 
And as we, uh, as I think about the story, I think about, okay, what do I need to learn from the story? What are these crucial truths that I've got to like apply in my own life? And the first one is this. I think uh, I'm much more like the rich man than Lazarus. I mean, if I had to compare those two attitudes up there, I already have everything I need versus I'm desperate. I'm over there on the left, you know, and I bet you uh, almost everybody in here is kind of in that position, right? I mean, we're so well fed and our health is, is good, generally speaking. We got places we can go to when we need help. We got experts in all the different fields, you know, and jobs, all this stuff the Lord has like richly blessed our lives and we get to the point where when we run into a jam, we never even think of praying, right? We're just scrambling around figuring, yeah, I, I can figure out, I find a guy who can help out here. I can, I can manage this. I got solutions. And so since I'm much more like the rich man than Lazarus, I'm much more likely to feel self-sufficient. You know, there are times when I really sense my need for the Lord, but that many times just kind of ebbs and pretty soon I've got this feeling like, yeah, I got it together, and I'm shocked when something kind of upsets the apple cart, so to speak. You know, I was thinking of this uh, news story from March of this year. This woman in the picture there, a young woman named Kaylin Phillips, she's with us. some friends of hers on vacation in Bali, and she's kind of, you know, messing around in the ocean there, and she finds this little octopus, this little cute octopus right here, right? So she picks this thing up, you know, the thing is alive, and, and uh, takes pictures of it and puts them on TikTok. And uh, then people start reacting to this, and they go, do you know what you, have in your, you had in your hand right there? That is one of the most dangerous creatures in the entire world. This thing, this uh, blue-ringed octopus, uh, actually has a bite that's painless, but it injects enough poison in you to kill 26 people within a couple of minutes. And the first sign you've got that you're in trouble is that your respiratory system completely fails and you're dead. And so they, know, they go like, don't go after that thing again. Or if you put it in a bucket, uh, you know, look at, get rid of it, send it back to the ocean where it belongs. You know, it's like, and she's like, wow, you know? And it's like, that was a rich man, wasn't it in the story? This guy's go, I got it all together. Look at this. I got all this wealth and stuff. And this is potentially poison. It's going to paralyze him. It's going to kill him for eternity, and it did. You know, and the self-sufficient life is like, it's full of self-deception. We're not seeing things the way they really are from an eternal perspective. I, I saw this story in the news about these two con men who got a hold of this uh, painting. Now, this painting is very expensive. It's very valuable. They got a hold of a, of a fake a very good fake, a forgery. And they managed to find a rich sucker to sell a thing to for 1.9 million euros. They took those 1.9 euros to a bank in Geneva, and they were promptly arrested by the police because the 1.9 million that the guy had paid for the fake painting was counterfeit money. <laughs> you know, the only... And, and you know what? They were out, not just their freedom, but they were out 356000 that they had paid an intermediary with real United States currency to get him to broker this transaction. You know, these guys thought they had it together, right? We've got this thing legged. We're so self-sufficient. We, you know, we're, we're ruling the show. And they end up 
in prison. You know, they were deceived. And see, the stakes are real high in this thing because hell is irrevocable. I just thought it was really bracing in that story when the guy goes, uh, help, help, you know, send somebody to comfort me. And the, uh, um, you know, Abraham goes like, uh, no way. You know, you're stuck there. You're toast. There's no way out of this thing. You know, there's no do-overs where you are, pal. And since that's the case, then... I can't afford to be a failure at life. I can't afford to be a failure. Um, if you look at this picture right here, um, this is a, I was sitting in the gazebo down by the water at this place that we rented a couple weeks ago. And that's the, uh, the lodge we, were, we had rented for the week. And it was just a beautiful place. It was just like, oh, this is awesome, you know? And then... That's the view from the same seat there of the lake, that Anvil Lake right there up there by Eagle River. And this was the first time in my life I ever seriously considered retiring. You know, because I'm thinking like school's starting up and I've talked to a couple school teachers here this morning and we're all sitting here going like the stress level is already building. And we're thinking, okay, what are we gonna do and how are we gonna plan this thing out? and our sleep isn't good at this particular point, and it's going to get worse as time goes along, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great just to sit here by the beach, look out over the water, oh, maybe I'll go for a bike ride, okay, you know, and oh, now I'm hot and sweaty, well, I'll jump in for a swim, you know, and I don't have, and it can just, yeah, it's like, yes, I would be the winner, right, in this particular situation. But sitting in that gazebo there, I saw, you know, it was like, it was a memorial that his, the wife, the woman who rented this place to us, put up for her husband, Chuck, uh, who had died just a year and a half before, a great guy, but he died of cancer. And she had this, these chimes, and then there was this thing hanging from them, and it said, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. And I remembered that, where that came from. You know, that's that story where Jesus is talking about the judgment and there are guys that serve him and accomplish things for him and he evaluates their services well done. And I'm thinking, I wonder if well done applies to people who just sit on the beach and are self, you know, live in the selfish pig life like I want to live. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, you know, it's like this quote that I pulled from a, a pastor was talking about a woman said to him this at a funeral. She said, failure is being successful at things that don't truly matter at all. The rich man in the story was uh, a failure because he succeeded at something that just didn't matter. I mean, he had wealth, he had great food, he had friends and all this kind of stuff. He was what everybody would have said, oh man, that's the life, you know, that's the dream he was a failure, and he ended up in hell. And I can't afford to be a failure at life, and you can't either, you know? We're all, you know, as, we, as I look at the story and I think about the rich man attitude that slowly creeps into my life all the time, you know, every commercial you see kind of contributes to that. I gotta keep my eyes on what's really important. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we gonna do? I mean, since we're mostly rich men here as opposed to Lazaruses, what are we going to do? I think, you know what it's all about? It's all about the message. You know, that, the way that thing ends is interesting 
because the rich guy's finally going like, whoa, I got to think about other people, right? And he says, man, if, if we could send somebody and have a miraculous appearance uh, from the dead, then maybe my brothers won't get to this horrible place. But Abraham says this. He goes, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. He's going, Moses and the prophets, that has more power. That's where the answer actually, you know what Moses and the prophets are, don't you? That's the Bible. That's what Jesus' Bible was. He's talking about the Old Testament, and the gospel is all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the, the new, the message really of salvation in turning to the Lord. That's where, that's where it's going to be. And Jesus himself brings a word to the rich man, the rich men, I should say, in Revelation, in that last book of the Bible. He talks to a bunch of churchgoers in a city called Laodicea who are living the rich man life. And I think you and I need to hear this word. First of all, he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Does that not sound like the rich man there in the story? And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. He's going, look, I got the real wealth. I got the real wealth. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. He says, I got, I got the answers right here. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. You know, those tough times that we go through or are going through, he's going, these are things I'm just, I want to make sure I got your attention. Come back, you know, come back to trusting me and not in the stuff that looks so appealing. It looks like it's got all of the answers. He's going, buy it from me. And then he says this, and I love this heartfelt invitation to everybody, to every one of us here. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those are, who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. You know what's cool about that? Lazarus got a chance to sit next to Abraham. But see, Jesus talks to this bunch of churchgoers here in Revelation. It's after Jesus died, paid for the sin, and rose again. And he says, I'll tell you what, if you, you invite me in and you trust me, he says, it won't be angels that carry you to be with me. It'll be me personally. I'll come and get you, and you will sit next to me, and you will feast with me. I guess the real question for us based on this parable this morning is uh, two questions are, can I hear the message? That message of clarity that goes against what everything is telling us sometimes. And will I open the door to Jesus? And if you and I open the door to Jesus, we're not going to get that third place trophy that just ends up blowing it up in our faces like I mentioned at the beginning. We're going to be making lasting investments that are going to, our, our lives are going to count for something into eternity and affect things that are going to happen in a good way through that time. Um, we're going to be finally taking care of the Lazaruses in our lives that appear at our doorstep, and their needs are going to be met. And we're going to feast forever with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
um, Lord, I just want to thank you for, for this parable that cuts so close uh, to me this morning and, and very possibly to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I, I would just pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. And I want to pray, Lord, if, if anybody here has, uh, you know, uh, defined success in a way that would be fatal, uh, where they're just like putting their trust in uh, the so-called good life that we've been misled into thinking about. Lord, turn, our, turn us around and uh, just help us to, to really truly walk with you and to partake with you and all our brothers and sisters in that heavenly feast. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.